Good evening everybody and welcome. Tonight's class is titled, When You Are Missing Wings. Wings like a bird. So there's a classical story, the Baal Shem Tov, and I, I'd like to think that if we give it a little thought for a moment, it may not be so well understood. Shom Kippur, everybody is sitting in shul, and Kol Nidre time, Kol Nidre, the, everybody's dressed in white, the Chazan is about to get up there, it's quiet, and in walks a young shepherd, and he screams, you familiar with the story, what does he scream, what does the shepherd scream? Um, one of my flock is dying. He screams, Kukuriku. <laughs> Kukuriku. The sounds of a chicken. That's what he knows. And that's what he screams. And the people in Shul are like, get this guy out. Mm-hmm. And the Balshemto says, his Kukuriku accomplished more in heaven than all of our prayers here. That's the story. It's a nice story. It's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. However, I think for, for our current session and what we've been learning, it's, it's a little challenging. Perhaps at the forefront, it doesn't really make sense. Let's review where we're holding. Where are we holding? We've learned previously, yes, that there's four worlds, but we've concluded learning that love is not what Hashem's looking for. Right? Remember we said if you love your spouse but you do nothing for them, you sit around on the couch a whole day and expect them to do everything for you, it's not going to be such a happy relationship. Don't, don't expect it to get too far. So it's not about love. It's about, it's about doing what Hashem tells you to do. So if someone loves, but they don't do what their spouse wants, it's not, it's not a relationship. If you love Hashem, but you're not doing what Hashem told you, not a relationship. That's what we've learned until now. And we added though, however, so that the first thing you need to do is you need to do what your spouse wants. All the time? I'm not going to get involved right now. We'll talk about it after, <laughs> off the recording. <laughs> and is this a reciprocal arrangement? <laughs> I, ch- I, I charge a lot more money for these questions. The, uh, Make appointments for advice. <laughs> the, the first thing to do is what your spouse wants. But you get a lot more points if you do it with love. Right? So the love does help a lot. So the first thing to do is what Hashem wants. You're drawing down the essence of God into this world. But the accomplishment is magnified. It flies up many times if we do it with the two wings of every mitzvah. The wings of love and fear. The two wings of the bird are love and fear. We learned this, and we'll talk more about it in the coming chapters. You ever saw a picture? They have them online, and I, I, I hope you don't look at them. Say, yes. Well, let me finish this statement, and then I'll take it. You can look online. One moment, I'll take your question. You can look online, you'll see they try and draw pictures of how the human form um, looks Kabbalistically. Mm-hmm. You know, they draw, like, Chachmas here, and, and... Well, in the Tikkun Zohar, it kind of describes where those forms come from. And it says the right hand is kindness, which is a representation for love. 
and the left hand is strictness or another form of fear. So the right and left hands represent love and fear, like the two wings of a bird, which represent love. The right wing of a bird is love, and the left wing of the bird is fear. So let's redo this. If you do the good deed, if you did what your spouse wanted, you did it. But will it really fly high? Will it accomplish big? It depends. It depends if the love and fear was there. Let's, re let's put in better words for marriage. Love and respect. That Maybe that will, that will be better. We're not talking about fear. If you have love and just love but there's no respect, you're in trouble. If you have just respect but no love, love and respect. Okay. So now let's look back at our story in the Baal Shem Tov. You have, oh, sorry, yes, your question, please. That was my question. The word fear versus the word respect. Well, and, and in Tanya, we'll get really into the word fear mm -hmm. later. But. That, I think that's an extremely important <coughs> point, and here's why. Gentiles <coughs> have to point out that if uh, you concentrate on, and in it, which is an improvement of Yashkapandra, that we emphasize love as opposed to the Jews emphasizing fear. Well, that's because they don't understand the terms and they want to define the parameters of the debate. So if you get into those discussions, and my experience has been that it is not unusual, it's because uh, you who believe in Yoshki don't understand the term in terms of Judaism. I don't have to find my, my Judaism in terms of your Christianity but the reverse, because my religion did exist, exists, and will continue to exist without yours. You, yours can't exist without mine. So you need to understand what is meant by fear. And let's see it in Tanya over the next chapter to what, what the definition of fear is. But let's go back to that story. This child screams kukuriko, mm -hmm. and this accomplished more than everyone else. So does that fit? with what we've established, that the first thing to do is what Hashem wants. The second thing to do is with, do with love and fear. Again, the first thing to do, so you could respect and love your spouse and not do what they want, that's real trouble. First do what they want. Now it's going to be a big bonus if there's a love and, and fear with it. So how does the story of that child screaming in shul make sense? Mark. Help us out. <laughs> My version? Um, because that's their truth. And that's how they communicate with... That's their way of how they communicate with Hashem. Because they don't know any other way. That's the only way they know. Ooh, I like that thought. I didn't think about that. I like that thought. The thought is... <laughs> the thought is, if I, if I could make sure I understand it, that not knowing better, this is amazing. If... This is what? It not, if you don't know better, mm -hmm. then you're doing your best. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Great point. Yes, I, I like that very much. Yes. Yeah, and, and the truth is, now that I think about it, that's really what we're going to learn. We need to give it, we need to give it our, our all. We need to give it our best. We need to give it our best. So we're going to learn tonight, and this is what's unbelievable is, yes, that 
sometimes we say we need to get into the, into the ropes. So what, what's the wording you say? I just need to get into the habit. If only I'll get into the habit of getting up early, it's going to be easy. If only I'll get into the habit of not eating this cake, it's going to be simple. Whatever. Tonight we're going to learn that a habit in service of Hashem is not healthy. You've remo- and, and let's go back to that relationship of a spouse. When you get into the habit of doing things mm-hmm. for each other, it's not appreciated anymore. Mm-hmm. Habit is not healthy. Because it's rote. It's rote. Mm-hmm. And someone that does something out of habit, it stays down in this world. If you do it out of habit, meaning you're not doing it in spite, you're doing what Hashem wants. But there's no feeling behind it. You, you, you've become so accustomed to bringing your spouse breakfast in bed, but it just, it just happens. Then you've done something nice, but it's not going anywhere. We, need it, we do want to have that feeling behind it. So habit, could we, another word for habit, could we call habit nature? Like this is your nature. Routine. Routine. But I want to use the word nature for a second. Because, how do you say nature in Hebrew? Teva. Teva. Ha-teva. Ha-teva is a numerical value of the name Elohim, which means concealment. Nature is a concealment. When something becomes your nature, it's concealing everything. Any questions? Oh, sorry, David. And then if there's any questions, then we'll go inside. Yes, David. Uh, the example that the Baal Shem Tov gave, the shepherd was communicating in his method, and it was not up to the congregation to pass judgment, <laughs> but to assume that the shepherd was relating. And what it comes back down to me is the initial premise about the being a uh, Benoni that he was establishing himself on the level of a Benoni because that's the way in his sphere he communicated. He was doing his best, yes. Mm. Thank you. Any questions? David, you're with us? With you. You'll jump in if you have any questions? I will. Okay, good. Page 196, we're in the middle of chapter 39, page 196, left-hand column. In the middle of the page, if you have the page, if you could just uh, give me a nod. Do we have the page? What page? 196. Chapter 39, left-hand column. This is so. Uh, let's, just, let's go three lines up without, without fear and love. We concluded last week that without fear and love, it, the mitzvah, the prayer, the, pr- the learning cannot soar upward, nor can it ascend and sta- stand before God. So if we don't have fear and love, so our actions, our prayers are stuck in this world. You guys remember the story I shared last week? Can I repeat the story briefly for those that weren't here? The Baal Shem Tov goes to one shul and all the people that do there is talk, not a word of prayer. And he says, this shul is full of prayer. He goes to the next synagogue and all the people do there is pray beautifully. And he says, there is no prayer in this synagogue. And so the students ask him, how could this be that the shul where everybody's talking, mm-hmm. you say it's full of prayer. And the shul, where no one's talking, you say, is empty of prayer. 
So the Baal Shem Tov shared exactly that's the point. In the shul where everybody, everybody's talking, the prayer did not leave the shul. They say the word and it gets stuck there. It's the synagogue is full of crippled prayer. It's not able to ascend. In the, in the synagogue where everybody's praying beautifully, there's no prayer there. Because it goes straight from their lips out of the synagogue. And the synagogue is empty of the word that they went straight before God. We could bring that right down to local. Shari Torah and temples. Uh, please, please, no. I'm going to share a personal story. I'm going to repeat it many times over the next few, uh, over the next few chap chapters. But I'll share with you a personal story. My grandfather, my mother's father, after the war, he didn't have family, unfortunately. And he, he would go to the previous Rebbe, asking, because this girl has come up for me, should I marry her, etc., etc. And the previous Rebbe always was ignoring the questions. He, like he said, did not, it's not the right person. Mm. And after a while, my grandfather stopped, was wondering, should he continue even to marry? Maybe it's not a good time for me to get married now, he felt. Mm -hmm. And the previous Rebbe shared, that Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdichev had a granddaughter, a grandson. And matchmakers, this, went, this goes back almost uh, five generations earlier, he's sharing, the previous Rebbe is sharing a story of Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdichev, five that had a grandson, and a matchmaker would come every day as Rebbe Yitzchak was wrapping his palace in tefillin and give names. What do you think about this girl for your grandson? Mm -hmm. And Rebbe Yitzchak, all of them were no good. So the matchmaker stopped coming. And the rabbi called him, he said, why are you stopping? I keep on telling me names. He said, enough is enough. Keep on saying, no, that's it. So he shared, the rabbi shared, Rebbe Yitzchak, that in heaven, unfortunately, as we're learning now, there are unhealthy angels. Sometimes we create angels without the proper intention, and they're unhealthy. They're crippled. They can't hear. And so, before everybody's born, For everybody's born, a voice goes out in heaven that says, Reuven will marry Rachel. It announces who each, each one will marry. The angels have bad hearing, some of them. <laughs> and they hear the wrong name. This is what the rabbi shares. He says, every person you meet on your, on your path mm -hmm. It's a necessary path to get through all of these inappropriately heard mm -hmm. names in heaven. So he tells my grandfather, he says, don't keep on bringing names to me. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the process. Mm -hmm. So this idea of being, that we all are constantly creating, our words are creating, but what are we creating? So it's, it's a thought, that's a thought for itself. Let's bring us back here. So, the Tanya now continues, This, that without fear and love, we're not able, our energy can't go upward to heaven. This is so, even if the service is not strictly, not for its own sake, that is for some ulterior motive. If you're learning because you want to be a brilliant scholar, and you want to be the, the greatest, then people are going to look up to you and respect you. So that's for sure not out of love and fear. That's out of selfish motives. Mm -hmm. Heaven forfend. But it also applies to the service which is described 
as their fear toward me has become like a trained human precept. Like a trained what? A trained human action. Where is this quote from? The quote is from Isaiah. Hashem is talking to Isaiah. And, and Hashem is saying, I'll quote you in, he, in English. Hashem says, Inasmuch as this people has drawn close to me, the Jewish people have drawn close to me, with their mouth and lips they have honored me, yet they have distanced their heart from me. Their fear of me is like rote, learning of human commands. Mm-hmm. And Hashem is very upset about this. Mm-hmm. What we do just because that's how we've grown. I come to shul, you know why? That's just what I do every morning. I have my coffee and I go... No, no. So even if we're doing something mm-hmm. just out of habit, that is to say it is a matter of habit mm-hmm. to which the person has become accustomed since infancy. My, mm-hmm. my father would come to shul, so I come to shul. Mm-hmm. Having been habituated and trained by his father and teacher to fear God and to serve him, but he does not really do it for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Right, that's why we say that in a place where someone a Baal Tshuva stands, a, the greatest tzaddik doesn't stand. What does that mean? When something comes natural to you, you lose some of the fire. Mm-hmm. When someone did something negative, mm-hmm. and then they're like, wow, I know what that is, and I know how inappropriate it is, you have more of a fire. Mm-hmm. It's not a natural thing. What's the problem with just doing it because that's who you are? I am a person that I, I just, I only like kosher food. I'm not doing it because I was in the market, in the supermarket on Sundays, and this man comes up to me, he's like, where do you get your meat from? So I said, it happens to be sometimes from Albertson Safeway, sometimes affordable kosher. I'm like, are you Jewish? He's like, no, I'm Muslim. I'm looking for halal. He says, let's go into business together. You know? <laughs> so, it's a true story. Funny. You know, sometimes we do stuff out of rote. What's lacking? That's not called fear and love. For performance, truly for its own sake. Doing something for Hashem cannot be without arousing at least a natural fear and love. Doing something naturally is lacking that fear and love. Let me finish the concept and then I'll take your question. And bringing them out from the concealment of the heart into the consciousness of the mind and the latency of the heart at any rate. So just like for a spouse, if you do something naturally, it's not that you don't love your spouse. We're not, mm-hmm. It's just not revealed at the moment. Mm-hmm. The same thing when you're doing this for Hashem. It's not that, God forbid, you're doing it because you, don't, you love Hashem. Mm-hmm. Every Jew naturally loves and fears God. But it's not revealed at the moment. Yes? Connect a dot for me, please. I'll try. Thank you. I know I'll make it difficult for you at times. So, um, okay, so pray three times a day. Go to shul in the morning. That's part of how you show your respect and your love for Hashem. So it truly is a routine. It truly is a habit, but in service of Hashem. So when you say don't get into a habit, yeah. this is a, what I would view as a good habit. How do, you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you make that connection to Hashem by doing things Hashem wants you to do, but not make it a habit? 
Please. I think you need to think about what you're doing. If it's a habit, you're just going through the motions. Emotions. Then yeah. you know it's you're kind of like daydreaming and stuff you've done before. You're walking down the street, like so. It's, you know, it's got to be intentional. So like you know, you drive to work and yeah. suddenly you find yourself there, even though you weren't paying attention. So in the same sort of way, if you were instead looking at all the trees and checking things out as you went and considering what all that meant. That would be different. I don't know how it relates to prayer, but at the same time, I think that's, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that's a difference. No, that was well yeah. said. Go ahead. Well, consciousness. Consciousness. Deliberateness. Just like the Shabbat candles. I mean, for me, it's not automatic. I still have to, you know, work, especially to do it on time. Hmm. You know? Yes. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, and we will talk about pra some practical applications over the next few chapters. Uh, so David, David was first. Yes. The establishment of a habit is a routine within a sphere. It can be the sphere of Hashem, or it can be the sphere of base emotions and actions. If you set a habit of praying on a regular basis, your children will see that and emulate it. Now, uh, I'm not quoting it directly, but that, and I, I can bring it next week, the tractate it's from, but that's, the Talmud makes that a very important point. You have to set an example for your children by routine and habitual prayer. They will see that and they will do it. Now, why do we have the prayers that we have? A series of great people said this prayer establishes a particular frame of mind. It is, within the Jewish context, verbal meditation. We place ourselves into a sphere. We do it on purpose so that it becomes unconscious. Now, am I contradicting and arguing with the Alter Rebbe? No, but we need to bear in mind and not dismiss the importance of doing something for rote. Thank you for that point. Yes, more Basha. I'm wondering if when we um, do things totally habitually, and like you were saying, you know, when you drive someplace, you wonder how you got there. So you're saying the prayers, and you wonder how you got to the end of it. Is that Aharayim? Is that like giving it? We're going to get there in a moment. Okay. Uh, we'll get to actually talk about it practically. Um, yeah, let's make sure we finish it before we conclude. Uh -huh. But I just want to share a, a thought that comes to mind and a thought, a thought that we're taught, which is, how do you know if something is just habit or if it's perhaps, in our terminology we're using today, a good habit? And the way you know is, if something even greater comes your way, are you willing to break your habit? Let me give you an example. An example. The Alter Rebbe, it was Yom Kippur night again, similar to our other story. Everybody's in shul, and he took off his talus and tefillin, and he went and he chopped down wood. On Yom Kippur, he chopped down wood, and he cooked food for a woman who had just given birth. Her husband, I never heard this, I never heard this but my understanding is her husband said, I have to go to shul. I can miss Kol Nidre. And I understand exactly where he was coming from. But the question is, if we're going every morning, do we, do we know why, that, are, do we understand that there are, this is what I'm supposed to do in, in a framework? 
And at times there are things that need to come prior. Or are we stuck in it? That's just a thought that comes to mind at times. So, okay, so let's, let's move ahead. We're on the right-hand column, mm -hmm. page 196. And now we're going to say that you don't do anything for no reason. Mm -hmm. For just as a person does nothing for his companion in carrying out the latter's will, unless he loves him or fears him, so one cannot truly act for his name, Hashem's name, blessed be he, just to carry out his will, without recalling and arousing any love or fear for him in his mind and thought and the latency of his heart at least. So, we, we are not serving Hashem. We're doing what we do. Every morning, I myself get up and do this. But we're not serving Hashem without actively having that mindfulness like David said before, like mm -hmm. you mentioned. And not, it's not enough to have that fear or we have to have both, even, even the love. Nor is love alone called service without at least the lower fear, Yiratata, which is latent in every Jewish heart, as will be later amplified. So it's not even enough to say, I love Hashem, and therefore I'm doing this. You must have both wings. The bird cannot fly without both wings. When you're going ahead and you're doing something positive, it's important, in addition to that, to have the love and fear of Hashem. So again, to get back to what we said last week, better do a mitzvah because you want to be the coolest guy around. Yeah, if that's the only reason you'll do it, do it. But ideally, that shouldn't be the reason you're going to do it. And now we're going to talk about, as you guys said, let's talk about a little bit the complications that happens if you do a mitzvah because you want to be a cool guy, or if you do a mitzvah just because that's what you do every morning without any mindfulness or thinking about it. So if you do a mitzvah for a negative reason, there's, there's a sad story I'm familiar with. A brilliant man, he was obviously a brilliant Torah scholar, and he wrote an entire book for a negative reason. And it's a brilliant, I've, I've looked at it, it's, it's unbelievable what he put together. But it wasn't written for a holy purpose. In that scenario, your learning is enclosed or is surrounded by klipasnoga. It's surrounded by this shell of negative energy. Mm. You've brought the negative energy in it. As you're learning for this ulterior motive, your learning you're, is now surrounded by this shell of the ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. Ah, so now how is your learning, what are you going to do with your learning? So when you repent, when you do teshuva for it, you're going to break that shell and you're and the good deed you did could go straight to heaven. So again, it's do the mitzvah for whatever purpose you want. For, for bad, I don't care, do it. Because ultimately the good deed was done. But at the moment, if, you did it for, you, if you've done it for an ulterior motive, you've surrounded that good deed with negative energy that is temporarily, sorry, trapping it. Does it trapping it. It's, it's, any questions about that thought? I will see this all inside. If you learn just out of habit, mm -hmm. so there's nothing trapping it. There's nothing bad about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is redo that same action mm -hmm. with fear and love, and you'll drag along any previous action that was done out of habit. So let's say you've come to show for the entire year out of habit, and one day of the year you really put all focus in it, you're actually going to drag up all that good with you. Hmm. So you're saying I need to go to shul once a year? 
No, I'm saying you need to come every day. Uh, <laughs> However, <laughs> if when you're... Thank you. I went to my mind, but I thought, no, don't say it. No, no, I actually, I obviously wasn't clear. What I'm telling you is how awesome it is that that one day of focus is going to bring along all the gold and silver from the previous experiences mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. didn't have the wings to fly up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you come only one day, you only have one day. But if you come every day and your mind, you're kind of lost a little bit, and one day a year you put, a, you put in all your, all your energy, take it all with you. Mm. That's beautiful. It's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I have a problem when I read the Amida. Yes. Oh, excuse me. When I read the Amida, because I find my mind starts to wander, and I have to go back and read the passage over because I wasn't concentrating. I found that I did it by rote, and I, I have to go over mm-hmm. it. So it always seems to take me much longer to get through it. Mm-hmm. There's many people with you in that. So it's yeah. a challenge. Okay. okay. However, yes. I just wanted to say, did you say that, uh, that when we do... I'm going to challenge you okay. to see till the end, and I, I believe we'll answer all of your questions. I believe so. If I don't, we'll get, I'll, I'll remind you. However, when a person is engaged in service, truly not for its own sake, but for some personal motive, with a view to his own glorification, as for example, in order to become a scholar and the like, oh boy, I'm going to learn Torah and I'm going to be the most brilliant man alive. And everybody's going to be coming to me and have so much respect. Well, that motive, which originates in the Klippa Snoga, closes itself in its Torah. And the Torah is temporarily in a state of exile in the Klippa. You have an ulterior motive, so that ulterior motive is surrounding what you've done. Until he repents. Why? Since repentance brings healing to the world. When you repent, you heal the world. When you repent, when you do tshuva, you're breaking that energy that's surrounding the goodness. For with his return to God, his Torah also returns with him. And now we could understand why therefore the rabbis of blessed memory declared a man should always occupy himself with Torah and the precepts, even if not for its own sake. Meaning, even if you're doing it for ulterior motives. Why? For for motives motives of self-interest, he will come to study and observe for its own sake. That's very powerful. It's a process. It's a process. Well, it doesn't have to be a process. But it, it's, certainly gonna, it's certainly going to be a process. This is something that the, the Al-Turabi says, it's one line, but it's, it's a powerhouse. Listen to what he says now. This, he just quoted the Gemara, um, Psachim 50b. Okay, the Gemara is per- beautiful. The, but the Al-Turabi says the following words. This, they state, the Talmud says, with certainty, the idea that if you start with ulterior motives, you're going to come to do it for a proper motive, this the Talmud says without a question of a doubt. Why? For ultimately he is bound to do repentance whether in this incarnation or in another because none is rejected by him, by Hashem. Everybody is ultimately going to fulfill their mission. So if that's the case, try as much as you want. Try as hard as you can to run away. You're go, you're, it's going to come back. Hashem, you're going to find Hashem. You're going to do your, the Torah and mitzvot as appropriate. 
So first of all, let's just look at that thought itself. It's, you're not, you're always coming back. Hashem is, you're always going to ultimately connect with Hashem. So do it for whatever reason you want. It, because ultimately it will come to doing it for a good reason and bringing back any of that energy that may have gotten lost. So back in those shuls that the Baal Shem Tov said, all the angels were there, we're going to heal all those angels and take them back to heaven. So far, so good, Morbasha. Any questions? Well, I just wanted to know if I have this right. Um, if you're learning and doing mitzvahs with ulterior motives, you're surrounding it with klipas noga, or correct? Klipas? Correct. Correct. Rabbi says the words klipas noga. Yes. Yeah. Klipas noga is neither good nor bad. Exactly. But it's it's something, and it's stopping the energy from going to heaven. Now, the moment you do tshuva, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to elevate. Exactly. On the other hand, this is if you're serving Hashem for ulterior motives. If a person acts without any particular motivation, neither for its own sake nor for selfish reasons, you're just doing it out of habit, then it is not contingent upon repentance. <clears throat> But the moment, as soon as he once again learns this subject for its own sake, as soon as you sit down and you learn that item with appropriate love and fear, then even that which he learned without any particular intent joins and attaches itself with this study and ascends on high. Since it had not yet been invested with any klipas noga, there was not, no ulterior motive that's that's holding back this energy from flying. Mm -hmm. It just didn't have a battery to fly. It didn't have wings. Mm -hmm. So now you've brought wings. Boom, there it goes. And therefore, a man should always occupy himself in Torah, whether for, even if it's not for the sake of heaven, because it's mm -hmm. going to come to that sake. And the same is true of prayer without kavanah, as discussed in the Zohar, that similarly prayer, that if someone prays 364 days of the year without any appropriate intention, and then one day a year he comes and he really gives it all he got. He's taken all those 364 days of gold and he's brought them up with him. We're good now? Yeah. Any questions? So, yes. what I'm concluding is that, of course, we want to be conscious and have the Ruach with everything we do. But even if you're doing something by rote or on automatic, it's still good to do it. It's a mitzvah. It's amazing to do still, it. You're still going to bring it, when you do have that clarity one day, and the mm -hmm. consciousness, eventually, which will happen, it'll bring, everything will go up with you. 100%, and I'll add to that. Mm -hmm. A few weeks back, we read the story of Avraham Avinu, our first father. And Avraham Avinu, he had a restaurant. You're all familiar with Avraham's restaurant dealings. He, he had a deal. When he served the angels. Yeah. He, he served the angels. The story is like this. You'd come to his house. He was in the middle of the desert. And he would serve you amazing food. And then you would ask how much. He'd say, it's, it's on the house. As long as you will thank God. Me, thank God. Wrong person. He says, if that's the case, it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. In the middle of the desert, there's nothing here. What do people end up doing? They ended up thanking God. For an ulterior motive. So they didn't have to pay. <laughs> so they didn't have to pay. But, but they blessed God. Right. Exactly that point. 
and, and I want to share one more thing and then I'll take it. Uh, similarly, mm-hmm. we know oftentimes if we go around asking people, do you want to put on tefillin? And, and very often I, we hear some feedback. I, I don't feel that I, me, I could do this. I feel it like I'll be a hypocrite. Yeah, but it's not. Be a hypocrite. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Just that's what we're learning here. Just do it. One day, maybe you'll you'll work out. You know what's going on in your mind, but that's not important right now. Do the mitzvah, and, and it will come. It will come to good. Yes. I read this stuff, and I don't always remember where it's from. So I hope you'll forgive me. The one of the major points is if you occupy yourself with prayer, with putting on tefillin, uh, with study, even though it may not be for the best of reasons, you have no time nor room for evil. <laughs> That's true. And I can't remember where I read the, it. I think the, it's the, in it's a track. idle hands is the devil's workshop. Hmm. Yeah. Let's, re- let's recap. We, st- we titled the class when you are missing wings. Now, so there are times that our actions are missing wings. If we do it for ulterior motives, or if we do it for no motive, mm-hmm. just because. It's missing wings. However, don't be concerned. Still do it. If you did it with no motive, all you need to do is just do it again, and then you'll drag everything with you. If you did it for an ulterior motive, yes, you need to repent. You need to apologize for the ulterior motive and the negative energy you brought. But the moment that happens, you're going to drag everything else with you. So we've come full circle, really. Because at first it was almost like... Almost like, not that it shouldn't be done, but that it needs to be done with the consciousness. But now, just do it anyway. 100%. 100%. And that is something actually that people, there was a while that people were kind of fighting against Chabad in particular. Because Chabad is very focused on the deed. And people are like, how could you do that? Like, you have people, this guy, he's a sinner, this guy, that. Do the deed. Do the deed. You're drawing down the essence of God. You may be drawing down the essence of God and temporarily trapping it. It could be. Mm-hmm. But do it. It's very soon that essence of God will be revealed. And mm-hmm. Do the good deed. Yes, mm-hmm. so it is a full circle. Okay, thank you very much everybody for coming. Thank you. Thank you.